Welcome to a Hope Alive Church podcast, where we strive to be an authentic family of believers, where we believe everyone can encounter the living hope found only in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy the word. I want to say this. Pastor Martha has an incredible vision for families. And one of the reasons why Hope Alive Church stays a family-focused church. Let me say this. Uh, uh, We like to say we're a family-focused church, but Pastor Martha makes sure we're reminded that we're a family-focused church. She keeps the family in place and says every time we're getting together, well, what about this? And what about where are we going to fit in the family? So I am honored tonight that she takes on week two of this series on motherhood and fatherhood and family. Can you help me honor Martha DeArmond as she comes and brings the word? Come on, let her know. We're excited. Y'all are so cute. Y'all are cute. I love y'all. I consider y'all my baby sometimes as we pastor you guys. Y'all really are like my children. I love you. Y'all are, some of y'all are older than me, but it's fine, okay? I got a hug. I got a hug for you too. It's cool. Listen, I am so honored I get to share the word with you guys today. The main reason that we took on this series is because the church is really good about talking about our relationships between us and God us and Jesus, us and the Holy Spirit. But what do we do when we have some of God's kids and they're kind of bad, right? They're kind of dysfunctional a little bit. Maybe there's a little, uh, you know, toxicity here and there. And sometimes we try to treat people the way we treat God, but God asked us to act like him, not treat other people like God. And so as we learn these this series and we talk about uh, we talked about siblinghood, Pastor Brandon made a word, and we've talked about fatherhood. I hope that you are encouraged and it brings some light to your life. Are y'all ready for the word? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that the words that are spoken today are really falling on good soil. But most importantly, God, I ask that you would use my words, that they would be your words. Lord, that I would just be a willing vessel, that your Holy Spirit would flow through me, that the words and the message that comes today would fall on hearts, that they would heal, that they would grow, that we would all be able to see your glory in everything that we have going on. Lord God, today we lift up our families to you. Lord, in the moments that we don't know what is going on, in the, in the times that we're, we have broken relationships with, within our family, not just within marriage, but our, our children or our parents or things like that, God, I thank you that you are a restorer. Can we thank Jesus for being a restorer, church? Say thank you, Jesus, for being a restorer. Holy Spirit, we ask that you just be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, my topic today is on motherhood, really, and really parenthood at the same time. I know that there are, raise your hand if you're a mom, raise your hand mothers, woo woo, can y'all give them a high five, somebody find one and give them a high five that has their hand up. All right, the rest of you, how many of you have a mother, raise your hand, that's everybody. If you didn't raise your hand, y'all got some hand raising, y'all just disobedient, just in the house of the Lord. We all got a mama, I was listening. Never mind. All right, so let's get, (laughs) never mind, never mind. But you see, mothering is so important. 
It is such an important part as you, as you are a mother, as you were mothered. And so when I'm giving this context and this information, I want you to think of two things. If you're a mom, I want you to think about how you mother your children. If you're not a mom, I want you to think about your mom, okay? So mothering is important. In Psalms 127.3, it says that children are a gift from the Lord. That they are a reward from him. And so if this reward, um, if, this, if them simply being a gift from God, it is a great reminder of how precious and how, um, how wise we should be on the way we care for them. Amen. You see, a mother, the word says, is a teacher and a father gives advice. And we're going to go over some of those, uh, those scriptures in a little bit. But through the word, I found four traits, and there are many. But we're going to talk about four traits that good mothers in the Bible have shown. Everybody say number one. Ooh, y'all are active today. A good mother prays. Everybody say praise. All right. So to become a mother, there needs to be a father. Right, a father. You can't, moms can't just make babies on their own. Guys, do we need to have the birds and the bees conversation? Come on. So to be a mother, you need to have a father for them to be there. And oftentimes um, uh, we say things like, ooh, when they act bad, they're like, mm, you get it from your dad. Yeah, uh-huh. Like you quit, keep acting like your dad, you know. All the great traits of my children come from me. Um, all the other traits, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> Just kidding. You see, but a good mother we talked about is a praying mother. And because a father is needed to become a mother, we should pray for the father of our children, right? That's rule number one, okay? Because as children, we are wired to, have the, to want the approval and the acceptance of our parents. And how many of you feel like you can talk about your family? Raise your hand. You can talk about them. But let somebody, okay, put your hand down. But let somebody else talk about your family, what do you get? Just, it's time to squall, right? Is that a word still? It's a word still. We're going to fight. And it really is the same thing with our children. Because our children are wired to love and want the acceptance and, and the love of our children. When we talk bad about their other parent, whether that's a father talking bad about a mother or a mother talking bad about a father, we really hurt them. And uh, praying for their other parent is really a way of protecting our children that God would send people to their other parent to help them be a better parent, right? So there's blended families all across the room. Raise your hand if you're a blended family. I'm a blended family. Do you know who else was a blended family? Jesus. Jesus was a blended family. He, God was his father, but he was raised by Joseph, you know. So blended families aren't a thing to look down on, but it is a time for us to be able to be grown and act grown instead of acting childish. Amen. Amen. And so praying for the other parent is so important. You see, um, so what do we do if, your other, if, your, if the other parent of your child isn't following God? Well, Paul talks to us in the Bible in Corinth. He's writing a letter to Corinth, and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12 through 16, it says, For the rest of you who are in mixed marriages, 
whether that's you're married still with the father or not. Christian married to non-Christian. We have no explicit command from the master, meaning God. So this is what Paul is telling us to do. If you are a man with a wife who is not a believer, but who still wants to live with you, hold on to her. If you are a woman with a husband who is not a believer, but wants to live with you, hold on to him. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out. As it is, they also are included in the spiritual purposes of God. Verse 15 through 16 says, oh, my computer's doing something. Verse 15 through, what are you doing? Hold on. These Macs, I'm just playing with these are really cool. I love them. Uh, verse 15 through 16 says, on the other hand, if the unbelieving spouse walks out, you've got to let them, him or her go. You don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of it as peacefully as we can. You never know, wife, the way you handle this might bring your husband not only back to you, but to God. You never know, husband, the way you handle this might bring your wife not only back to you, but to God. You see, the sole purpose of our existence truly is to love God and to love others. The great commission that Jesus gave us was for us to be able to reach people so that heaven would be their home. It's tough whenever we have a, um, a parent, whether you're married with them or not, and how to co-parent with them, even, even as married people. Cliff and I have two very different parenting styles. I am very passive. He is very not. <laughs> um, and as we have tried to come together to figure out how to do it, bless his heart, I, I, I have made him the bad guy more than I should have, right? Um, and there were times that I had to buckle up and I had to say no to the kids as well. And so as you co-parent, it is so important. The reason I shared that scripture is because it is, it is our job to pray for the father as mothers and fathers it's our job to pray for the mothers amen, amen. you see um, so again when you talk bad about the other parent it really hurts the child and no matter what your child they will always have a special place for their other parent I am 36 years old and I would still did somebody whistle like that was old <laughs> I heard that you young people get them um, at my age, it is still a desire of my heart to be able to have a relationship with both of my parents, but I don't. And we'll always want, we'll, we will always desire that. And th I think we learn how to allow God to control the situation, right? But they will always have a special place for their parent. It's always good to tell the truth to your child, but I want you to make sure that what you're telling your children is age appropriate. You know, if you're telling your kids, um, this is why they don't come pick you up. Okay? Are you really doing that child a service or are you doing a disservice to them? They will always love the other parent. What can we say? Maybe, let's think about some things that you can say when they're not there. Do we lie to them? Absolutely not. But sometimes when we share information of the other parent, it's because it's coming from a place of hurt from within. 
and and we want our kids to be loved and we want the other parent to be involved and you can't control that but God can be there to fill every single spot that is going on within your child you just have to trust God through it amen amen, amen. so rule number one a, a good mother is a praying mother amen the second trait that I found is that a good mother is a nurturing one. You see, what is your child's gifts and what do you do to nurture them? In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 through 9, it says, My son, listen to your father's advice. This is where I talked about it earlier. Don't turn away from your mother's teaching because what they teach you will be like a beautiful crown on your head. It will be like a chain to decorate your neck. You see, a mother's teaching is necessary. How you deliver it matters just the same. We're teaching lessons all the time. How we give it, you could say, um, well, anything. If you say it in the right tone, it could be received. If you're saying it out of aggression, out of frustration, how many, how many moms ever felt overstimulated? I'm just like, if you hug me one more time, <laughs> okay, we've all been there. It's okay to say it. It's okay to say, hey, I'm going to go to my room for a minute and then shut the door <laughs> and lock it. No, it's okay. I get it. Let's make sure that we're controlling ourselves and our kids aren't having to control it for us. Amen? Amen. So um, a mother's teaching is necessary. A mother's nurturing uh, love builds the foundation of her child's ability to love others, to learn, and to adjust to their environment. The love that we give and the love that you have gotten as children of our mother is so foundational. And the same way that nurturing love builds those things, so does nurturing fear build a foundation of fear. You know, growing up, if my mama wanted me to come over here, she said, you better hurry up. The cuckoo is going to get you. Right? And I'm like, oh, my God, the cuckoo is you know, because that cuckoo better never, it better never. I'm not even a fighter. I don't even, I've never been in one fight in my life. I'm over here like I can fight. I got, I'll call Cliff. He'll help me. <laughs> but how we instill this fear in our kids, man, the world that we live in is such a tough one, right? I was thinking the other day, I mean, today was the first day of school. And for many of our students. And I remember the first time dropping off Chase to public school, it was so hard. Chase is our youngest, he's 10 now. Um, but the other kids were kind of together and they were older and I knew that they, could, they would be fine. But when I left him at school, all, at this elementary school all by himself, we dropped him off at the cafeteria and as we were walking out, Cliff and I looked at each other and we just ugly <laughs> cried. We both were just like, like we couldn't even catch our breath. Like, I was like, uh, 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 you know, ugly, cried. Okay, so if you cried today with the kindergartner, we love you. Somebody hug a mom today. It's tough out there. Hug a dad too. Hug a dad. It was so tough. Our older kids were like, y'all didn't even cry when we went to school. I'm like, it's different. Okay. It's a baby. No. <laughs> you know, the when... um. But we wanted him to know that he was going to be safe. And he didn't even cry. Like, he was just like, peace out, y'all, you know. <laughs> we left him there at the cafeteria. And the first time 
um, I got the, a phone call or a text message or something that comes through that there was a lockdown and that they were having to do a lockdown um, drill. It scared me. And growing up, we did fire drills and tor- I don't know if y'all did tornado drills here, but we did tornado drills and our kids are having to do open shooter drills. And in the moments that I'm so afraid of what my kids are going to be going through, what kind of world they're living in, I am only reminded that God has them born at this exact time for a great purpose, to be able to make an impact into the world, that they would be able to show hope into this world, show love, they'd be able to show faith. I mean, I remember as a high school student, Columbine happened, but it just never felt so real. And if I were to tell my children and teach them out of fear, I will build more fear-based foundation than a faith-based foundation. And we must nurture faith. Amen? Um, so, so do it. Nurture faith. Amen? The third trait that I found um, in the Bible is protection. A mother protects. I was thinking about, you know, who in the Bible... Um, was a protective mother, and the first woman that came to mind was Moses' mom. And, uh, and to give you some context in Exodus, what was going on, they were living in Egypt. Um, Pharaoh was, uh, he thought and he had heard that a good, uh, someone was going to rise up against him, and so he had all the babies murdered um, that were Israelites, all the baby boy Israelites murdered. And Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, it starts by saying, A man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. She became pregnant and had a son by her husband. She saw that her baby was a fine child, and she hid him for three months. After that, she couldn't hide him any longer, so she got a basket made out of stems of tall grass. She coated the basket with tar. She placed the child in the basket, and then she put it in the tall grass right next to the bank of the Nile River. The child's sister wasn't very far away. She wanted to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile River to take a bath. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank, and she saw the basket in the tall grass. So she sent her female slave to get it. And when she opened it, Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby, and he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. And she said, this is one of the Hebrew babies. Then his sister, the baby sister, spoke up to Pharaoh's daughter and she asked, do you want me to go and get one of the Hebrew women so she could nurse the baby for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, go. And so the girl went and, the baby, uh, and got the baby's mother and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and feed him for me, I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and fed him. You know, in a world where such tragedy is happening, I think we can relate to this story. Moses' mom did all that she could to hide the baby from danger, and she hid him for three months. As, as she protected him from the harm of Pharaoh and what he was trying to do, and she hid him for as long as she could, then she trusted God with the rest. I want to tell a mama today, you can do all that you can and then trust God with the rest. 
in the same situation that I was feeling this anxiety of my kids, you know, with open, it happens, it happens, right? These fears that we have are not unrealistic or they feel like they're not that far away. I mean, my kids go to Permian and have, have had people bring weapons up there. But this fear, if I could instill some faith into my kids, I could do all that I can. I want to tell them, hey, choose wise friends. You know, watch, be wise about your surroundings. Um, I still have to trust God. I have to trust God with the rest. I have to trust that God, when I dedicated them and I said, God, these are your babies. I'm just here to, 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 to help lead them on. But they're, for, they're yours. I need you to protect them because I can't be there everywhere. But you know who can? God can. Yes, he can. And what I love about this story is, one, yes, how she trusted him. Two, yes, how she protected him. And after she did all she could, she stood. See, God was faithful to her. And she was still able to keep the baby till he was older And later on, the Bible says that this baby became a great deliverer of God's children. And how many of you believe that your children are here for a purpose, to be a deliverer to their generation? Amen. And so what could we we be stopping by trying to control things instead of allowing God's hand to take over? You see, when we give him full control, he always makes a way. Everybody say, he always makes a way. Yeah, will it be easy to trust God and take our hands off of it? Uh, No, (laughs) it is not easy. It is absolutely not easy. But that's where the Holy Spirit steps in. That's where your faith steps in. It's okay to be scared and still have faith because fear doesn't necessarily mean the absence of faith, but faith needs to take the foundation. Amen. And then there's another woman in the Bible. She's the Shunammite. The Bible, uh, the Bible addresses her as a Shunammite mother. In 2 Kings chapter 4, um, verses 8 through 37, I'm not going to read them all. But uh, what's going on is there's a prophet, Elisha, came to a city of Shunam with his helper, Gehazi. The woman had asked him to come over for dinner, and she knew that he was a man of God, and she wanted to feed him. And she knew that he was a holy man, and so then she spoke to her husband, and she said, hey, let's make him a room. And she said that when he comes by our city, then he'll have a place to stay because we want to honor this, this, this uh, man of God. And so they did it. They built this room for him, and that any time that he came by, he would be there to travel. And because of this kind gesture, um, Elisha had his servant ask what the Shunammite mother needed, or the Shunammite woman needed. And Gehazi had said that she didn't have any kids and her husband was old. And in verse 15 is where we pick up. It says, then Elisha said, call her. And so he called her and she stood in the doorway. And verse 16 says, about this time next year, Elisha told her, that she would be able to hold a son in her arms. And, and the Shunammite woman said, no, my Lord, don't be playing with me. Don't be playing with me, bro. Don't, don't be playing with me. She said, no, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. 
The Bible goes on to say that the child, that a year later she was holding that child in her arms. The child grew and that one day he was out in the, in the field working with his dad. And, and out of nowhere, the son said that his head was hurting. And so he, uh, the, the father told the, a servant to go take the son to his mother. And the Bible simply says that, that he got to her, she held the boy, and by noon, the boy had died. And what this woman did was incredible. The Bible goes on to say that she took her baby, her boy. I don't know how baby he was. He obviously was able to talk, so he was older. But she took the boy, and she laid him on the bed that she had built for Elisha. She shut the door, and she left. And she called her husband, and she said, I need a donkey. I need a servant. I'm going to go see the man of God. And when her husband asked her what's going on, she said, it is well. In other words, she said, it's all right. We're good. And on her way there, Elisha saw her from a distance, and he told Gehazi, his servant, he said, go find the Shunammite woman. She's coming. And when Gehazi went to ask her if she was okay, if her husband was okay, if her son was okay, all she said, it is well. It's all right. In verse 27, the Bible says, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. And she says, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff into your hand and run. Don't talk to anybody. Don't greet anybody. And if they say hi to you, don't even answer. But I want you to take my staff and lay it on the boy's face. But the child's mother told him, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. She told Elisha she was going to stay with him until they got to the boy. So Elisha got up and followed her. In verse 31, it says that Gehazi went on ahead, laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha, and he told him the boy hasn't awakened. And in verse 32, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in. He shut the door. Only him went in. Mom and Gehazi stayed outside. She, he shut the door and he went to the bed and he laid on the boy mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, and he stretched himself out on him and the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and did it all over again. Eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, hand to hand. And uh, in verse 36, it says that the boy sneezed, or 35 says, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. And he did, and she came, and a miracle had happened, and the boy was alive. Amen? And uh, she, he said, take your son. Uh, and she took him, and they went out. You see, there... As a mother who protects, there is a fight that we have, that you, we all have, to protect our children. Mothers, uh, mothers don't give up protecting their children. They go straight to the source of help. 
What I find amazing about this Shunammite woman is she didn't just fall into despair in that very moment when her son died at 12 o'clock. She didn't tell her husband. She didn't tell nobody else. She went straight to the source. And as mothers, as parents, our job is to go straight to the source. Amen. You see, when things weren't right, she did it. She knew that when she talked to the man of God, because she did not ask for this son, she said, don't be playing with me. Don't be playing with me, Elisha. (laughs) She went straight to the source. And oftentimes as mothers, we do a disservice to our children by not protecting what they're going through. And sometimes we talk about it a little too much to people who aren't the source. And in the moments that you're just trying to get some relief because you may want advice or you're probably just so emotional that you just want to say it, we're hurting it more than we're helping it. We have to go straight to the source. Amen? We must protect our children's shortcomings because just because our kids do bad things does not mean that we are bad parents. It means they're human, right? A good mother doesn't mean bad things don't happen to their kids. She didn't do anything bad. It happened. Bad things will still happen. Why? I don't really know. And I have a lot of questions when I get to heaven. But I don't know why bad things happen to good people. But they do. And they're all throughout the Bible. Life happens. The enemy, the Bible says that the enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? And so... I wish I had a mother who would say, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. Because that is what it took. It took a mother staying close to the man of God. It takes us staying close to God to be able to see the promises that God gave us come to life. He's wanting us to keep praying and loving our kids that have gone off so that they could come back. He wants us to stay and be there with God every time, standing on those promises, even when it doesn't look like it's all right. It is well. It's all right. There is information that I wouldn't share about my kids because to the public because I do want to protect them and I want to protect their information. But I will not, I will not let a lying devil keep me quiet to getting straight to the source. I will not. In the moments that my kids mess up, I may not be blasting it on Facebook or blasting it to all my friends, but guarantee. I am coming to a therapist. I am coming to the pastor. I'm saying, hey, we got to get to God and pray over this baby because we ain't doing it this way, right? It is our job to protect. It is our job to intercede for our kids. And, and can, as we protect our kids, can we start listening to what they're saying? You see, sometimes our kids don't know how to tell you that they're uncomfortable being around some people, but they don't want to hug them. Can we stop making them go hug somebody they're uncomfortable with? Can we, if you're having to say, don't wear that because uncle so-and-so is going to be there. Can we stop going around uncle so-and-so? 
Can we start protecting our borders, protecting our babies? Because they may not have the words to say as, ooh, they made me feel uncomfortable, or he looked at me weird, or he was hugging me, but he hugged me a little too tight, and it made me feel uncomfortable. Come on, parents, let's protect our babies. Let's listen to what they're saying. Your children are so important. Let's pay attention. Let's be proactive. Let's talk about good touch and bad touch and mixed up touch. A good touch is when someone is nice to you and gives you a hug. A bad touch is when someone punches you. But a mixed up touch makes them feel weird on the inside. We know what that is. Let's be vigilant, not hyper vigilant where we're just on trauma triggers, right? But let's listen. Our kids are trying to tell us, let's protect those borders. The fourth trait that a mother does is she pushes. Not too bad, but um, Mary, uh, Jesus' mom, asked Jesus to do his first miracle. In John 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus told his mom and said, woman, why do you involve me? And that would have been a straight slap across the face. Okay. (laughs) I'm playing. But Jesus was brave. Anyway, um, he said, my hour has not yet come. And the mother didn't even address him. She talked straight to his servants and she said, do whatever he tells you and walked off. Mother push, okay? Um, I saw a documentary a while back, and it was talking about eagles and how a mama eagle, you know, does everything to protect her baby. But once the baby gets to a certain age, she pushes the baby eagle out of its nest, and they fall. (laughs) And she's trying to teach them. It's like, uh, fly or die, I guess. (laughs) But what's incredible is as the baby is struggling to figure it out, she is watching. And before the baby hits the bottom, she scoops him up from her back. And she doesn't let him him die. (laughs) And so as mothers, we do got to push. We do have to give that little nudge and saying, hey, it's time to try this. Why don't you? Okay, so um, Connor. Um, during his, our, our second son, he was having a tough time in school his freshman, his freshman year. And I said, hey, bud, what if you joined choir? Maybe you could try out for Black Magic at Permian. And he was like, no, I don't want to do that. And I was like, mm, tough, you're doing it. <laughs> and he joined it. And can I tell you, this last few years of high school have been the easiest. He's passing his classes. He's enjoying choir. He didn't want to do it, but it took that nudge to push them to try something. Having some accountability and doing something that your kids enjoy, enjoy it, is so important to help build that character as we push. Amen? And there are bad moms in the Bible. Um, The Bible talks about Lot's wife, um, how she couldn't resist looking back. And we're going to talk about that some more in a little bit. Um, A woman, Rebecca, had a favorite son, and she was manipulative. Then there's Jezebel, and she was ruthless and manipulative too, and her kids were also became very wicked. 
Um, and you know what? Even good moms have some bad days because Mary was not a bad mom, but she did forget Jesus at the church for three whole days, okay? So give yourself a pat on the back if you have not done that because Mary did it. And that was Jesus, y'all. That was Jesus. So my theory on kids is this, that when they're little, when they're infants, babies, early elementary school, as parents, we do everything for them. We're changing their diaper. We're bathing them. We're changing their clothes. We have, we're feeding them. We're making sure that they're putting it in their mouth and learning how to use the bathroom. And we're doing so much, right? You moms with little ones, I'm praying for you because I know you're tired, okay? <laughs> I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I know you're feeling like, they're, you know, sleep, what? What is that, you know? Um, but you know what, though? Babies, wait, toddlers over teenagers, 100% of the time, okay? <laughs> um, but during that time, when you're taking care of the babies to early elementary school, you're giving them quality time. You are doing acts of service for them. You're probably talking to them a lot uh, because they're doing stuff. You're doing stuff for them. And what happens when they get older and they're able to do these things? What they saw as love with the quality time because you had to do those things and the acts of service because you had to do those things. And now they're old enough and they brush their own teeth and they pick out their own clothes and they do all this stuff, right? I see more and more time, teenagers from middle school to high school, that they're, uh, when they become more independent, they start to think that their parents don't love them. And I, I asked myself, I wondered, you know, like why that was going to be, but I, it's often because they don't have that quality time and that acts of services that we had to do for them when they were younger. And so um, because we no longer do those little things for them, they feel like, again, we don't love them. You know, statistics show that we probably, that we only talk to our children about 30 minutes a day. Out of 24 hours, we probably talk to them 30 minutes. That's not saying, hey, go take a shower. Hey, go clean your room. Hey, come to dinner. Having conversations with our kids, I bet it might be less than that. We're busy. They're on their phone. And having that kind of communication, especially with our teenagers, is so important. You see, um, something that we, I learned to do, this was a taught behavior for me. A counselor told me. She said, um, because how many of your teenagers and you have someone younger, they're like, you just love them more. You heard it? Yeah. Why don't you love, you didn't do that for me. Yeah, we did. You just don't remember. Okay. <laughs> and it's because of that quality time and the acts of service that we did for them as young kids. And now that they're older, we're not doing those things. And so I have a, I have some, uh, I have a challenge or a, a tidbit um, information. After every, after your young ones are in bed, I want you to go for 10 minutes without electronics and spend some time with them. Um, it's going to feel so awkward because we don't talk to our kids, right? Um, but stay consistent. And most teens' love language is quality time. 
Uh, and do not use this time to talk about the mistakes that they've made, but use it to talk about nothing and everything. What's your favorite color? Hey, I saw that you that Spider-Man is coming out, and he's pretty cool. Like, you know, I don't know. Talk about nothing, you know? But I guarantee you it was going to show your student that you truly care and you love them. The enemy is constantly trying to make them feel that you don't love them, that you are, um, uh, that well, don't, you disprove of them. And that's just not true, right? As we become, as parents, it is, you know, the, what the word says to do, I think that it's important for us to teach boundaries. Some red flags that you need healthy boundaries for kids under 18, for you as parents, are, um, some red flags are you have no rules. Um, your children are used as confidants. You are breaking boundaries when you're talking to your kids about adult situations. Um, your parenting style is permissive where they have a lot of freedom. Your parenting style can be punitive where it's all you're doing is punishing. You see, children need structure. They benefit when parents have expectations of them, and we must continue to monitor and provide structure. The very first year that Cliff and I took on uh, pastors, um, our oldest, he's now 20, Caleb, it was 2020, okay, when that happened, when the situation happened. We had literally just taken over Hope Alive Church on a Sunday, and on Monday I get a phone call from Caleb's friend's mom. And she said, hey, is, um, is your son sneaking out? I said, what? <laughs> and she said, yeah, my neighbor caught them on their security camera at 4 o'clock in the morning sneaking, sneaking my son out of his bedroom. I said, oh. She said, he hasn't told you? I said, no. I asked permission to tell this information, by the way. I did ask. I did ask him. He's like, I guess. <laughs> and when I found out, one, I was scared. One, I was embarrassed. Another, I was embarrassed. Um, and she had told him that he needed to tell us, and he hadn't told us. He just like, I just thought she wasn't going to say nothing, Mom. <laughs> so teen consequences are necessary, right? Uh, what I have learned uh, through parenting classes is that it is best to give them a time frame. It is, uh, there's all, you can also tell them ways to decrease their punishment. Um, and then the most important thing is you can tell them ways on how to earn your trust. Because when you take everything away from a teenager, in their mind, they think, well, I might as well do it because I already don't have anything. And they do more bad things, right? Uh, and when your kid makes a mistake and you become angry, ask yourself, why are you mad? Are you embarrassed? Do you think that you look bad? It's so important for us to make sure that we are parenting out of the situation and not because of what it feels like it's going on with us, right? Did you know that the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that helps you problem solve, is not even developed until they're 25? And so when you say, what were you thinking? They're literally like, I don't know. <laughs> Because they weren't thinking. They literally don't have it yet, okay? They're literally dumb, literally. Like, y'all literally dumb. 
So I have this app that I use, and my kids are going to love me. Just kidding. They're going to be so mad that I told you about it. But I use it all the time. It's called Our Pact. If you have an iPhone and your children have an iPhone, 10 out of 10 recommend it. This Our Pact, O-U-R-P-A-C-T, um, you get it and you, you download their phone to your computer and um, you can block their apps. You can block websites. You can set schedules. You can ground them for a certain amount of time. It could be for five minutes. It could be for eternity. <laughs> But then you still have their phone because you know what I hate doing is I hate yelling from my room to their room to come to see me, so I want to text them. <laughs> Truth, okay? So uh, when I got this app the first time, uh, Caleb was about 16 years old, and he got so upset that I took his music away and he threw it on the floor, and I was like, yes, I did it, you know? When your kid is mad at you, you've done a good job. You know... As you build healthy boundaries for your family, we're going to just show them real quick about healthy boundaries um, with adult children as well. Because what I realized is your relationship with your children completely changes when they become adults. It is the saddest thing ever. Your role as a parent involved, being involved with them was 100% hands-on. And when they became adults, um, you just became a supportive role. And some red flags that you need healthy boundaries with your adult children is you help make decisions in most of the areas of their lives. Uh, they are unable to care for themselves without your financial support. They lack life skills. Don't you keep reading them or y'all want to just take a picture of it? <laughs> they manipulate you into doing things for them. You feel taken advantage of in the relationship. You're aware of intimate details of their romantic relationships and are causing harm to their relationship. You're involved in disputes with others. You don't respect their opinion. You enter into personal space at, without asking. And you insist they say yes to everything to you, even when it's inconvenient. These are unhealthy boundaries to have as a parent. It's good to provide them with resources and help, um, but we have to let them grow and have healthy boundaries with them. You see, Lot's wife, we talked about earlier, who, was a, who we considered you know, not a very good mom. The story is that they were coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the, the angels had told them one thing, don't look back. And she was the only one who couldn't resist looking back. She wanted what she was leaving more than what God had for her in the future. She longed to go back. And if we're too busy looking back, we're going to miss the beauty of what's to come. You see, often motherhood and parenthood can become idols. Our children can become idols. We can become codependent. And some characteristics of codependency is that we think and feel responsible for them. We feel anxiety, pity, and guilt when, uh, when they have a problem. We feel compelled, almost forced to fix that problem and offer unsolicited advice. We feel angry when those things are going on. We can, we can fear rejection. We can feel insecure and guilty when someone gives, um, makes them feel bad. We overcommit ourselves. Healthy boundaries are necessary. When you're codependent, you're really trying to control the outcome. This is fear. This is tied to your fear. You're going to fear that they're not going to love you. You're fearing that they're going to leave you. You fear that 
God isn't going to be able to do it, so you have to take control. And just like Pastor Cliff said earlier, the more that you keep trying to take control, you are, you are holding God's hands hostage to intervene and truly take control. When, when we allow God to take control of, of those situations, we truly release the shame and guilt where we feel like we're a bad parent. We're not bad parents. Some of us didn't know better, but now we do. As you get older, you learn better. You're not a bad mom. You're not a bad dad. The fact that you even want to be a good mom or be a good dad means that you are one. Here's some important things to remember. These moms in the Bible, they knew who really had control over their children. When they relinquished that control to God, that's when they saw a breakthrough. You can't be good at anything, especially a parent without the Holy Spirit. So I want to remind you that a mother prays, a mother nurtures, a mother protects, and a mother pushes. Will you stand to your feet with me today? So let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every single person that is here today because they have come in contact with the mother and our mothers. Lord, it is not light. It is not a light task as we parent. We know that this is that this is tough. This is tough work. We're trying to raise good humans. And so God, in the moments that the enemy has tried to lie to us or where society has tried to tell us what a good mother is, Holy Spirit, will you tell them what a good parent is for them? Lord, let them ask you what that looks like for them. Because it's not about the clean house. It's not about the fancy vehicles. It's not about how you provide. It's not about all those things. It truly is, how are we guiding them? Lord, as mothers, we want to, as parents, as mothers, as fathers, we want to parent our children so that they could be that, that arrow. That we, are, that we are aiming towards you. That they would be able to have a relationship with you. Jesus name I want to take a minute we're going to stay at our seats but if you've ever experienced mom guilt and you feel like you're a bad mom I want you to raise your hand because for the first um, in my 20s I thought I just had to be perfect and if, I, if you feel like you're a bad dad I want you to raise your hand. Because the thing is, you're not. And what is talking to you is more shame. It's more the enemy. And it's not about, it's never about the money. It's not about the clothes. It's not about the things that we give our kids. It truly is how we make them feel about themselves as we raise them. And so I want to pray for you. And then I also want to have a special prayer request over us who have had toxic moms. 
maybe your mother wasn't there to nurture, to um, pray over you, to lift you up and protect you, or to push you to fight for your dreams. In those moments, in that as, as a mother wound that you have had, as a parent wound that you have had, it's so important to bring that to God because in the presence of God, he fills all the longings of your soul every time. So if you're ready for prayer, raise your hand and let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Lord, today we bind the words of the enemy and we say you can no longer try to convince us of our worth. In fact, our identity is found in you as parents. Lord God, today we don't identify as bad moms, as bad dads. Today we identify as your children trying to be led by your Holy Spirit. Lord God, each, each kid that we have is so unique and you've created him that way. So God, give us the wisdom, give us the patience, give us the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that it takes to be a good parent. Because it's not out of our ability, but it's simply because we're inviting you in to help us in this role as parent. Lord God, as, as adults, as we hurt from not being protected by our parents, or being prayed for by our parent. Father God, I thank you that you are filling the voids that man has tried to leave empty. Lord God, I thank you that today they are healed. Today they are living with, with you in mind, knowing that you as our Father is here to fill every empty place that humanity has brought. Lord God, as we continue to navigate family, as we continue to love on you, our Father, I thank you that you are with us, that you are guiding us, that you are healing us from the inside out so that we are able to give it to our kids from the inside out. Lord, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your time. I thank you that you are working. I thank you for this series that is bringing things up, that is talking about these situations. Lord God, teach us to have healthier boundaries, to know what it is to either take a step back from these relationships, to know what it is to not just be rigid and not just cut people off, but to be healthy in you, Jesus. God, we can't do it without you. And we don't want to do it without you. In Jesus' name, and we said, amen, amen. Did you enjoy the word? Let's worship for a minute. All we need is you. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to stay up to date, be sure to follow us on all social media platforms or visit us online at myhopealive.church.